0: I'd like to preach a message simply entitled, The Minister and the Ministry, or The Ministry and the Minister. The fact of the matter is, is that what we are doing this morning is not here to entertain you. Uh, we're not here to, to try to, to, to get you all excited and motivated for some worldly cause. We want to hear from the Lord this morning. And uh, that is why we are here. And apart from that, uh, we have miserably failed. Thank you, choir, for your ministry. Thank you for singing. And so far, all of the components of the service have been biblical. Uh, the Bible says that when someone is saved, they should follow the Lord and believer's baptism. The Bible teaches us uh, a principle uh, in the Old Testament about dedicating your children back to the Lord. And even Jesus said Rebuked the disciples and uh, said suffer or not uh, and he had those children surrounding him and uh, and we know that the Lord Jesus even loved children and now we get into the Word of God this morning again preaching is a part of church and I'd like to invite you to open your heart to the preaching of God's Word Now this morning we're just going to be explaining a story from the Word of God as we're doing in much of Matthew is just explaining God's Word. And in explaining God's Word, there's an opportunity for us to learn some lessons this morning. Let's all stand together. We're going to do a responsive reading, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 25. You read the even verses, I'll read the odd verses, so you're actually going to begin this morning in verse number 12, and Pastor Jonathan will have the microphone, so if you'll please follow him, and let's all begin here in verse number 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zabulon and Nephilim that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic. And those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Now, Father, would you add your measure of blessing to the public reading of your word. Would you enable this servant uh, to be used of you this morning? Set aside any distracting thoughts. May words be spoken, only words that you approve of. Father, I pray that each one of us will also do our duty to listen and respond as thy Holy Spirit would urge us to respond this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As I look around, we have a number of folks who are visiting with us, and I just want to say thank you so much for the time that you've taken to find our church, whether that was on the Internet or by word of mouth, from a personal invitation from a family member. I say thank you. We don't take that lightly, and we thank you for being here. And it's great to see the faithfulness of our church members and knowing that throughout our campus there are hundreds and hundreds of people here today. But the reason that we gather, whether you're visiting or a regular attender or a church member, is to hear from the Lord. That should be our primary reason for coming to church. Lord, what would you have me to learn today? And whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, the moment you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you enter to what I'm going to refer to as the ministry. God has a ministry for you. Some people have the idea that the pastor and the staff, that they are specifically hired and they're the only ones to do the work of ministry. If that is your view or your take, then you would have a misunderstanding from God's Word. According to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 12, the work of the pastor is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, it's my job to equip and to train and to educate you to be an effective minister for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our great example, and we certainly know that in every area of life, He is our example. And we're called Christians because we are supposed to be like Christ. And just as each one of us should be involved in ministry, Jesus was also involved in ministry. And that brings us to our passage of scripture today. We see Jesus was actively involved in ministry. And I'd like to break down uh, this the passage of scripture that Jesus had three priorities in his ministry. Ministry priority number one is Jesus preached to everyone. Jesus, he preached to everyone. We see that in verse number 12, the timing of his ministry. Note these words, now when. Uh, The gap between verse 11 and verse 12 may have been as much as a year. How do I know that? The synoptic gospels all omit this era, but John fills in these details. Here's what happened. We know that Jesus, he met Andrew and Peter, Philip and Nathaniel from among John's disciples. And he attended a wedding in Cana where he performed his first miracle. And on the way back to Galilee, he even confronted a Samaritan woman at at the well of Sychar, John the Baptist. He was now imprisoned by Herod Antipas in his dungeon palace for publicly denouncing Herod's uh, taking of his half-brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. And eventually John would be executed for taking this stand against such a powerful ruler. In God's timing, John, he was stepping off the scene and Jesus was stepping onto the scene. And we see that, that his his priority here was that he preached to everyone. Well, where was that location? In verse number 12, we see that literally Jesus began his ministry in the northern region of Israel in a place called Galilee. Many of us have been there. In fact, in November, we'll have 91 people that will go uh, on the next trip to Israel. And 91 people, of which 85 of those, it'll be their first time in Israel. And when we spend the first night in Israel, it'll be on the seashore of Galilee. It's going to be an amazing opportunity for people to see where Jesus literally had his first earthly ministry. Well he went not out of fear but to avoid a premature confrontation with a group of people called Pharisees. Over in John chapter 4 we see when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Uh, We we see that there was a potential for a, a conflict. Well, Jesus, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth. And Luke chapter 4 records that his own people were so outraged with his proclamation that he was the Messiah that they tried to throw him over a cliff called Mount Precipice. And he supernaturally escaped. Verse 13, here we see he was leaving Nazareth. He came and he dwelt in a place called Capernaum. This was Matthew's hometown Right here in Capernaum. And some say the population of the cities around the sea coast around uh, Galilee was around 2 million people. Well, we see the prophecy of Jesus' ministry beginning in num- verse number 14. For the third time, Matthew, he quotes from Isaiah. And this was called Galilee of the Gentiles because of all the Gentile influence of the Syrians and the Phoenicians in this area. And many of the prejudiced Judean Jews said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. You remember Nicodemus? He came to Jesus under the cover of darkness. Uh, He was a Pharisee who eventually uh, uh, became a disciple. He tried to defend Jesus, but they said to him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. They simply Needed to understand that this was a fulfillment of a prophecy given back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. The Galileans certainly, the Bible says, sat in darkness and they lived in the region and shadow of death. They did not have the biblical education of the Judeans and most of them were simply simple people, working uh, uh, class people. Do you know that when I study... The Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I actually study exactly all the people that Jesus ministered to, is that interestingly, he usually first found the lowly and the simple people, the humble people. Why was that? Because they were more receptive to the gospel. And he knew that. Um, The Bible says here the death light had sprung up in Galilee and John chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 says in him was life and the life was the light of men. And we know the Bible says "And the light shineth in darkness. So realize that what we just read here, you read it, is that this ministry, uh, this uh, the ministry of Jesus was in an area of darkness, spiritual darkness. Jesus said this, I am the light of the world, and that he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Aren't you glad that the light of Jesus has shined in your life? I trust this morning with, enthusiasm, you could say, I am so thankful that Jesus reached down and gave me life. And I'm thankful that He's the light in my life. Well, in verse number 17, we read that uh, we see the message of Jesus. For those in ministry, the message of Jesus. Note that Jesus, the Bible just simply says this, He began to preach. Preaching was the central part of Jesus' ministry. And it... By the way, it should be the highlight of our ministry. There's a lot of time and energy and effort that goes into the preaching, whether it's Pastor Howard or Pastor Jonathan or Pastor David or Pastor Abel, uh, uh, Pastor Noah. That, that There's time and energy and effort that goes in. And preaching should be a central focus in our ministry. And uh, never let us get over that biblical in preaching is empowered by God. And God is the one who approves of biblical preaching. And the word preach simply means this to proclaim, to publish, to make known. What are we publishing? What are we making known? We're making known the fact that God is, or excuse me, God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, and you need to know about him. Jesus, He preached like no other man. In fact, Matthew 7 and verse 29 says, He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He preached what the Father told Him. Jesus even said this, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which has sent me. He gave me a commandment, what what I should say and what I should speak. Even Jesus, God-man, the man in the flesh, He got His message from the Heavenly Father. I read a commentator, his, his name's Linsky, he wrote this about preaching. I thought I'd share it with you. The point is to be noted in that to preach is not to argue, reason, dispute, or convince by intellectual proof against all of which a keen intellect may bring counterargument. argument we, we simply state in public or testify to all men the truth which God bids us to state. No argument can assail the truth presented in this announcement or testimony. Listen to what Linsky wrote. Men either believe the truth as all men should or refuse to believe it as only fools venture to do. It's foolish not to believe the truth of the word of God. Jesus he he preached that people should repent. That was the word that's been used multiple times. Do you remember when we looked in early Matthew and we, uh, uh, and looked at a man by the name of John the Baptist? What was his message? Repent. Now Jesus replaces John the Baptist on the scene and his message is repent. Uh, the word means to change. It means to recognize the wrongness of our sins and to turn to God my friend an evidence of salvation an evidence of salvation is that we have repented from our sin we have turned we have changed that's an evidence of salvation they were re- to repent because the bible says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah was on the scene. Jesus was ready to rule in their hearts and Jesus preached the same message that John the Baptist had preached. And Peter, he picked up with this same message. Do you remember on Pentecost? He said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, sometime later we have the Apostle Paul. Do you know he preached also? And his, here is His message in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Folks, would you look, look up here for just a moment? Would you listen for just a moment? The devil has taken captive Tucson. The devil has taken captive the state of Arizona. The devil has taken captive the United States of America. The devil has taken captive Washington, D.C. From the highest office, he has taken captive. And the only hope that Tucson and Arizona and the United States, and the only hope that the President of the United States has is to repent of their sin. And though our methods may change, our message never changed, and that is to repent. And we must ever be willing in our ministry to share the truth of the gospel. Well, we see the ministry priority number one is that Jesus, he preached. He came to preach, and the message was not a flowery message. It was, listen, you are dying in your sins, and you must repent of your sins. Well, here's priority number two. And this is an insight into Jesus' ministry. This is helping us to understand his ministry. Jesus called his disciples. Jesus called his disciples. Look with me there, beginning of verse number 18. We see, I, I just like the human interest part of this. He called Peter and Andrew. One day after arriving at Capernaum, uh, Jesus, the Bible says, was walking by the sea of... Of Galilee. Now, uh, the Sea of Galilee is only 8 miles wide, and it is only 13 miles uh, uh, along. It is, when we hear that word sea, we often think of uh, of the ocean. It is not a vast body of water. Then Jesus could literally walk all the way, and did all the way around, in his earthly ministry. Um, they see, uh, In Josephus, he said that there was actually 240 different commercial uh, uh, fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee any one time well Jesus says he's walking and he sees two brethren the Bible even identifies them as Simon and Andrew his brother and according to John chapter 1 he had already met them from when he had been with John the Baptist and no doubt they recognized each other here's what Jesus said he saw them and he said follow me and I will make you fishers of men could Jesus have delivered the gospel by himself yes or no of course he could, and he did in his early ministry. But you know what I love about Jesus is that he wants us to share the joy of what God the Father has done through his Son, Jesus Christ, and he wants to reward us for being involved in the ministry. Uh, Jesus calls us to evangelism, and you may not be a Billy Sunday this morning, but you can tell others what, uh, at a minimal level what Jesus has done for you. What has Jesus done for you? He saved you from your sins. What has Jesus done for you? He's given you a new home in heaven. What has Jesus done for you? As we heard the, uh, the choir sing this morning, that he has given you eternal life, and you will be alive forevermore. That's what Jesus has done. That's not that hard to, sh- to share. The Bible says, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Note that they responded. How did they respond? Uh, Peter, uh, 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 Peter responded here, and Andrew, how did they respond? They said this, now wait a second, my 401k does not quite have enough money. And they looked, at, they looked at Jesus and they said, Now wait a minute, I need to have a surgery first and I need to get better from this, uh, from this illness that I have. When Peter and Andrew heard Jesus said, Follow me, they said, Now wait a second, I'm not married yet. I need to get married and have some children first. When Peter and Andrew heard the words, Follow me, they said, Now wait a second, Jesus, you don't understand. I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I don't understand where I might shower tonight. I don't understand where my next meal is going to come from. Because as I understand it, you don't even have a home. Is that what Peter and Andrew said? Without hesitation, the Bible says this, straightway or immediately, that word straightway means, immediately they left. They didn't go home to say goodbye. They didn't go home to pack a suitcase. They didn't go home to draw some money out of their ATM machine. They believed Jesus so much that they immediately, straightway, followed him. Well, Jesus expects no less from us, folks. There are people that is seated here under the sound of my voice, and there are people that are watching by live stream, and you know that God has called you to do something, and you're waiting until the circumstances are right. My friend, let me tell you something. The circumstances will never be right. Because the millionaire says, listen, now that I have a million dollars, I need two million. And once I get to the goal of two million Oh, I need $4 million. Then I can serve Jesus. There are people here that you make $1,000 a week and you say, listen, it's not quite enough. When I'm able to make $2,000 a week, then I'll start tithing and giving offering to missions and to this church. Guess what? When you get to $2,000 a week... That won't be enough because you will have increased your expenses and you'll say, well, listen, I need $3,000 a week and then I'll start giving back to Jesus. My friend, we need to learn a lesson from Peter and Andrew. The Bible says straightway or immediately they obeyed Jesus. And there's some that in this, in this audience at this time you need to straightway, you need to immediately obey Jesus. Well, that didn't just stop with Peter and Andrew. The Bible says in verses 21 through 22 that he also called James and he called John. Je- uh, Jesus, Peter, and Andrew, they were continued walking along the seas- uh, seashore of the Sea of Galilee, and they saw rugged outdoorsmen, the sons of Zebedee. He already knew them too. Jesus did not call his disciples from the richest and the most intelligent and the best looking or the best educated. Here's what he called. Jesus called those who are willing to follow follow are you willing to follow James and John they also responded with immediate obedience and the Bible says this they left their boat they left their livelihood and they were with their father and I cannot imagine what that must have been Uh, the Josephus writes about Zebedee that he was a manly man he was a man's man and his two sons looked at him and said hey dad we're out of here You've got the fishing business now. And they left their dad there. Um, Might I just say God's still calling people, specifically us? And God has a ministry for you this morning? And it may be through uh, uh, physically going somewhere. It may be through physically getting involved in this church. It may be that you have a talent that you need to surrender to the Lord. It may be that you have finances that you can give to the Lord. My friend, God is still calling us. And God calls us to immediate obedience. Not halfway, not half-hearted, not delayed. God calls us to immediate obedience. And if we do not obey immediately, we're not really obeying at all. What has God called you to do that you have failed to do? God calls us to leave some things behind. In fact, it might be good to leave some things behind because we have anchors in our life that prevent us from serving God. And there's some folks here this morning that you know God has called you. You're willing, but you keep looking over your shoulder because there's something that you're not willing to cut the cord. There's something you're not willing to leave behind. God calls us to follow him. The truth of the matter is that we are to follow Jesus. We are to follow the teachings of the Word of God. We're not to be worldly-minded. We're to be heavenly-minded. We're not to be uh, focused on the things of this world. We're to be focused on the things of Christ. Jesus said this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and to take up his cross and to follow me. And God calls us to call others. God calls us to call others, encourage others to serve. Some of you have been sitting in the same row for the 15 years that I've been here, and you barely know the names of the people in the row that are with you. God's calling us to to encourage, to edify, to uplift others. Do not shun that call. It may be coming from the Lord when someone says, Hey, listen, I heard you sing. You sing like a mockingbird. You should be in that choir. And you go, Oh, shucks. I don't really sing that well. and, you, and it might be that God's using that person to tell you to get up there and to sing. And then there's some people that, um, that sing in the choir and they say, you should be sitting down here and you should listen too. So I, I'm just saying, uh, uh, we should listen to those around us. It's good to listen to those around us. We should have in mind that we're to store up treasure in heaven. Listen to this. This is a, such a sad story. A few years ago, there was an Italian recluse who was found dead in his house. And he had lived frugally his entire life. When his friends came to go through there in Italy to go through his house to sort out his possessions, they discovered this. 246 expensive violins crammed into his attic. All of his money in his life he had spent buying violins. Yet in his misdirected devotion to the instruments, you know what he actually did? He robbed the world of ever hearing their beautiful sounds. And because he selfishly uh, hoarded these violins, the world never heard what they were capable of. It is reported that the first violin that the great Stradivarius ever made, it was not played until it was 147 years old. Now I... Hear that, read that, and I immediately make a correlation to Christians. Christians often squander and hide in the attic their talents and their abilities, and you're robbing the world of what God has gifted you to do. Do you know Jesus was walking along the seashores of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw in Simon Peter and Andrew and James, and John, he saw something that they didn't even see in themselves. And that is that they could turn this world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that these men followed Jesus. Well, that brings us to ministry priority number three. And and this is so practical. We just we read it there in, in verses 23 and following. And that is this: Jesus, one of his ministries. A ministry priority is to heal the sick. Jesus healed the sick. And, 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 Jesus healing, and by healing the sick, it confirmed his teaching ministry. The Bible says Jesus, that he went all about Galilee. And with his new disciples, Jesus began to tour the cities of Galilee, which was uh, only some 60 by 30 miles, this whole area. And Jesus, the Bible says, was preaching and teaching in their synagogues, He was considered a rabbi, and and, and in our terms, we would say a preacher, or an evangelist. Uh, He was asked to speak in their synagogues, and the synagogues were the Jewish houses of worship. And in these places and elsewhere, Jesus was uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he was still proclaiming this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. My friend, may I just tell you, I could say that exact same message, repent, for Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? It was at this point that Jesus began. The Bible says there in verses 23 and following that he began to heal the sick. In fact, our text says that he was continually healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. No one was left out. Do not miss this point. Jesus was healing, his Jesus his healing was totally connected with his teaching. And as people came to him to repent, he healed them. The healings validated his position as the Son of God, and no one else could do this. And Jesus healing it also met the needs of the people. And because of Jesus' great ministry, the Bible says his fame went throughout all of Syria. Now Syria was the Roman province that also included Galilee. Um, to paraphrase, his, his, his fame spread far and wide throughout the entire province. Unlike our modern times with great medical knowledge and sanitary conditions, diseases and sickness that plagued the people, common infections that we would easily fight off would become life-threatening in this society. And as a result, the Bible says that other people brought all the sick people to him. Here's some things. Let's break down that verse. The Bible says he healed those of divers' diseases and torments. This would include anything from influenza to leprosy. The Bible says he healed those which were possessed with devils. This problem seemed especially acute during Jesus' ministries. Those who were demon-possessed. By the way, there's still demon-possessed people today. And they're throughout the entirety of the world. The Bible says there's a word we don't use often unless someone's driving and cuts us off. He healed lunatics. The Greek word for lunatic means moonstruck. These were those who were mentally ill. Those who had convulsions and, and thought to be caused actually by the moon. The Bible says he healed those who had the palsy. This referred to those who were lame and crippled the healing ministry of jesus i think it teaches us four facts about christ let me go through those Uh, fact number one jesus had compassion toward those in suffering isn't that a good lesson for all of us you may be healthy as can be and have little tolerance for those who may have some sickness jesus had compassion fact number two jesus validated his deity you know what he was he was the son of god I'm thankful for that. Fact number three, Jesus demonstrated that he was the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. How, did he, how do we know that? He fulfilled prophecies that were written hundreds and hundreds of years before. Fact number four, Jesus gave us a foretaste of the kingdom to come. He was telling and teaching us about what we have to look forward to. I would like to say this. I have some hard questions uh, to ask of modern day healers now some of you watch garbage on tbn and you watch garbage on christian television of people who claim to be faith healers i i believe god heals i've seen god heal However, may I just say this? The healers of our day are charlatans, much like the wrestlers on TV. Why do modern-day healers only heal before large crowds? For the most part, Jesus healed privately when you look at His healings and with a simple word or a touch. And why don't modern-day healers go to the hospitals where the sick people are? You never see that. Why do modern-day healers only heal some of the people that were prearranged before the healing service. And it appears that Jesus healed everyone that was brought to him. It wasn't conditional. You know, folks, if I had the power to heal, like the, the apostles and Jesus had, you know where I'd go? I'd go straight to the hospital and the children's ward. I hate seeing children sick and children maimed and children with cancer. I wouldn't have to do it for any fame or recognition. I'd just go do it. Why do modern-day healers only heal some of the problems? In this passage, we have seen Jesus heal those with spiritual and mental and physical problems. And Jesus even brought people back from the dead. So why do modern-day healers require faith? The Bible says Jesus simply healed. The faith question is a cop-out. May I, as I close our message and bring to our message to a conclusion this morning, might just say Jesus calls us to a healing ministry today. Jesus still heals, and he does not heal to validate the gospel. We have the gospel. It's validated in the power of the Word of God and the lives of believers for these past 2,000 years. James chapter 5, verses 13-17 through 17 tells us about the ministry of prayer and the anointing of oil by, uh, by the church elders. Jesus has called us, now listen to this, to a spiritual healing ministry. Listen to this passage of Scripture in the book of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus heals the body. Where to heal the brokenhearted? And we're to to come alongside and help those. And we do this by showing our faith and our hope and our love to others and sharing with them the good news that Jesus is still the answer to our problems. There's no welfare system that's the answer to our problems, unlike Jesus. There's no hospital stay that we can just blindly put our faith in some doctor without first talking to Jesus about it. Are you a healer in the lives around you? The most important question that I can ask all of us that are gathered here this morning is this question. Have you been healed through your repentance of your sins? Have you been healed through repentance of your sins?